Hi, and welcome to the first ever episode of the Online Performance Podcast. My name is Jason Mills, and I'm joined in this first episode by Jamie IF. Jamie, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you. This is the first ever episode of this brand new podcast, which is all about elevating online earnings, learning from people that are making money online, from people that are doing it just like yourself. So uh, yeah, really pleased to have you here. Do you want to just give a quick intro to people that that don't know who you are? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So I'm Jamie. I'm from London. I'm in my mid to mid twenties, just about still. And I do online, mostly affiliate marketing from SEO, as well as like some other stuff we pivoted. We have, we're trying to build out, you know, more reliable, diverse income streams as well, especially with how Google's going. But primarily up until now, I've always been like an affiliate marketer, affiliate focused CRO content person, not as strong on links, not as strong on informational content, but I'm good on the on-page psychology side. And I also head up marketing a SaaS called Lasso that does affiliate analytics and CRO and stuff like that as well. Great. And I think this might be a bit of a theme that comes crops up over this series of interviews that we're going to be doing in that I think a lot of people that are successful online are not just involved in one aspect of it. So I know you are involved in a few different aspects and, and probably the one thing that we have in common is affiliate marketing and, and particularly through content websites. But really for this series, I want this to be focusing on some other elements just to open people's minds and open people's eyes to, to other ways of making money online. So one of, one of the questions, what, what I want to do, start off each each episode with with the same question which a bit similar to another very successful podcast with a similar name but we're not copying because it's a different question and that is what is online success so just from your point of view it's a very difficult question i'm sure everyone's going to have a different answer for it but but for you what what is online success this this the same as real life success and how i define it in terms of success is i go to work to make money i go and do other stuff to get fulfillment so i go to do online business that get money out of it like i i love the network i love the fun i love the meetups we've had since but really like i want to make sure that once i'm run out of town and i'm, I'm done in the game and i'm crashed and burned like I, I i'm good forever and so once i've got that base level i don't care anymore like I'm, I'm aggressive until i can afford to play aggressively like once you've like like once you've exited for an amount that you know that you're good in the background with i feel like you can play more aggressively rather than having to be defensive because now you're one google update away from not having the feature that you thought you did because it was all monopoly money of an asset value until um until it's like until you exit until until you liquidate it so success to me is i've came to do what i came to do i'm i'm good now and now everything else i do i choose to do rather than having to do it it's a control over your outputs and inputs and so to me i know a lot of people go i just want to be the best i can be i do love the game i love the fulfillment i want to be the best i can be but i didn't pick seo because i love it i picked it because i'm a businessman and it was like the way in and i'll continue to do that until i feel like i can do whatever i want and then i'll choose what i would choose to do from there Fantastic. Control. A lot, I just want to say that my definition is more toxic than average. Like I, I get that a lot of people want the work-life balance side. They want the location, time, freedom. I'm not really. I don't prioritize like those like those in my twenties now. I, I wouldn't the controls of that. If I choose to change my inputs and outputs of preference, I can do that whenever I want because I did whatever I did and not prioritizing work-life balance originally. And so I'm not telling people to be this way. But to me, like seven days a week isn't a problem because that means that I can do two days a week in the future if I choose to, whilst I still have control. Because who knows what all or the economic, like, uh, landscape will look like in 10 years with the way that some tech's going. And so I want to make sure that whatever happens, I've got that base. And so success is control, not work-life balance to me. 
Great. And I think it probably leads me on to the next question, which was to, what what made you first start this journey of making money online? And I think it's probably a very simple answer. <laughs> I think you've kind of just answered it there. But if you just maybe build on that, what because you are still very young. And for those that are listening to this podcast rather than watching it, they might not be able to see there is an, a clear age difference between me and you. But for those watching, you probably will be able to tell that. So you know, you are, you're still relatively young compared to a lot of people in this game. You've had a lot of success early on. So what was it that first kind of got you into it or, or made you want to go down this rabbit hole? And, and and what age did you start doing it? Yeah, so I graduated from uni when I was 22 in 2019. And so the original thing I wanted to do was the reason that I have the IF on my name, which I cannot... Until I get 100,000 followers, I'm not saying what it means. You can all follow me. We need me to get you some followers because <laughs> that was one of my questions today. So we, we, we've already covered the fact that you're not going to answer that. But so That's originally, it. I cared a lot. I still do about like, I feel like worldwide, but especially in London, we've got a big problem with like inequality and homelessness and stuff like that. And so for me, I wanted to do a social enterprise that wasn't like, I, I got really into the social enterprise movement as in like a business that can operate like a business, but doesn't take the profits for itself. So it can still use some of the forms of like profit making in order to scale its own, like doing good for people, but without like, I think there's so much charity is inefficient because you rely on handouts. And as soon as COVID happens and no one's got any money to give you, you have to fold or you have to rely on governments or, you know, there's nothing guaranteed. So I like the idea of a self-perpetuating, self-fulfilling business that could then scale and do like positive externalities and, and harnessing some of those for-profit things in a, in a, like a typical, like non-profit. But to do things like that, often you need quite a lot of money to get started because it doesn't scale and self-fulfill until you've got a decent amount of scale. And so for me, trying to tackle homelessness, I knew I couldn't build a, a million houses, but I could help with like soup kitchens and food and donations and stuff like that. And so the idea was to create a brand that would sell soups and other stuff like that. And for everyone we'd sell, we'd give another to a soup kitchen or to a, a way of distributing that to someone who was like either homeless or uh, food insecure but um soup is like the most perishable thing ever it like dies off in five days the raw ingredients are pretty expensive and the profit margins aren't that high and the packaging is expensive until you get to really high scales until you've got your own factory and so i was like all right i ran out of money I'm, i did the sunday markets for a bit wake up at 5 a.m and cooking all day on saturday whilst working monday to friday to do it ran out of money and i was like all right okay and at the same time, before I graduated, I'd done a year in industry in France, in Paris, when I was living there for a, for some time. And I discovered what SEO is there because there was a publisher that was like, a, I think they sold up now, but they had, they had no idea what they were doing. And so I just got obsessed because I'd had a, a previous failure in that I tried to launch a streetwear label when I was 16 at college, like, you know, hoodies and T-shirts with, with the logo on and stuff. And we blew up on Instagram. We had like 16,000 followers within a month. But it did not translate into sales. And so I was like, okay, you can have all of this faceless traffic that doesn't convert. And I had to like do all this manual stuff. And I love the idea of like every day people come and find your website. And so when I discovered SEO in that, whilst working for that publisher, I was like, this is repeatable. You mean I just sit there, I do the work once, and then it's repeatable rather than having to post, rather than having to reach out to influencers and do all these deals and manual labor. And I just got hooked and it, like, it was just like a rapid feedback loop. And then I did it from there. And then got into the online business from there. And the the desire originally was one of, I guess, like I'd never been like a high performer. Like I was clever naturally, but I never tried. And so like I never got to show like I'm the best in the game at economics at my degree or whatever. And so I went into like I came in with like 
because I, I wanted to be the best at whatever I chose to do, right? There's a there's a competitiveness, like a narcissism, arrogance in there, or whatever you want to call it. But there's also like a, a desire to do positive stuff as well as like the, just the status stuff. And so I guess they mixed well in that. And now whenever we've got here in affiliate marketing to try and fund the eventual going back and doing that again is is where we are today, five years later. Brilliant. I know. That's a story that I've, I've heard a little bit of that before from you, but I've never heard it in quite such depth. And I think, yeah, piece, piecing all those aspirations together and those life experiences that you've had, obviously offline experiences, I'm guessing from what you've said there, they do, they do translate into this online world. You know, quite often I think when people talk about making money online, you think it's just someone sitting there working away all day long. But actually, there, there's other things that have gone on in the past that have contributed to get you to a point where you can do that and where you, you understand what the opportunities are and, and what the setbacks are. And clearly, you've had setbacks along the way. You've just talked about Instagram there being a channel. And, and clearly, that, that was not successful. Even though you were getting an audience, it wasn't translating into, into money. And that is often where people who are trying to make money online do hit a stumbling block. And a lot of people, I feel, at that point would just walk away and think, yeah, forget it, it didn't work. And I think having that that tenacity to, to keep going is is probably something that will potentially come up a lot with the people that we're speaking to about making money online. So so we, you talked there about SEO. So for anyone that doesn't know what SEO is, just could you just sum it up in 30 seconds? Sure. So when you go and you see a social media post, that person's put the effort in to write that in front of you, and that's got a short shelf life, and you, you see that content, you have the opportunity to follow them, see their content as an impression or a page view. And often they're not like long-term. I don't think maybe Reddit can last a decent time if you like the, you know, if the, the thread stays at the top for a while but typically there's a short shelf life the difference between that and something like seo it's like traditional blogging you write and you it's on your website but because of the way the google algorithm works for surfacing content if someone searches for something relevant to that that question that query that topic that you've excitedly written about they can discover that if google does the right thing and ranks that at the top same if you're trying to find a laptop to buy and trying to find e-commerce or a, a recommendation which is where we specialize in the recommendation side on the affiliate side and so if you can stay number one for a long time and there's a steady number of like searches coming in every week every day every month writing that once can mean that you know while you don't get a thousand in a day like you do on twitter or instagram you get 10 every day for a year which equals many thousands over the next few years if you can continue to uh, to rank for that content and so what we do is we write content designed to rank based on trying to best match what we believe the current state of the google algorithm to be for that keyword or query in order to take that spot and then based on the roi of the time and effort to do that we will create content around that to try and get the money that we think that keyword is worth and retain it because uh, once you know the data from how much that keyword's worth in ad revenue, affiliates, direct product sales, newsletters, you can then prioritize how much inputs you're willing to spend to stay number one there. Great. So that's a, that's a great summary as well, by the way. So thank you for that. So you are well known for your content approach your, your content-led approach with in, in in relation to that so obviously you, you do generate attention and then sales through seo but you've got other avenues that you work on as well and i think in part of the prep for this interview i found out that you you do some work on etsy which is a a, a platform that a lot of people do dabble in when they're first getting into trying to find a side hustle or working online uh, but i've never really come across 
personally that many people that have had huge success with it but you're getting quite a lot of success through etsy aren't you at the moment and i think there might be quite a novel way in which you're doing that could you just talk us through that sure so Etsy's still not the main source of income it's maybe 10 percent. i think we do between five and eight grand a month from it and so it really depends on your niche, your site, and how creative you can be and how much you can interest people. Etsy being a place where you can fairly, very easily sell digital products. There are whole systems built to automatically distribute those products to the people. And then from there, you just have to man customer support, try and get reviews that then give you a star status status to try and get yourself more visibility. And if you've done SEO for a while, you'll love the fact that the algorithm compared to Google is really basic <laughs> and really exploitable. So like having played on hard mode and trying to win on Google and how crazy it is now, it's quite a nice time like to just go back to like playing on easy mode against like So did you come bloggers. to Etsy? Did you come to Etsy after SEO or did you had, had you already been involved with Etsy? Yeah, we only started this year. So we bought a site um for twelve and a half grand that was doing a grand a month in December two thousand twenty two. So we got ownership of it about January. So two thousand twenty three we started. And it didn't do anything on Etsy really then, maybe like two hundred dollars. But then the main thing was coming from digital products on a WooCommerce on the WordPress store itself. Mm-hmm. And so I had both of those avenues in there and whatever. And so I was just interested. I was like, okay, this is a new meta. What can we do here? And so doing just the basics of research, we found out that, yes, you can do the titles in a certain way based on keyword searches. You can do the description, though the description doesn't always matter. And then you've got tags and stuff in there. And it's a really basic algorithm. And so it's, uh, there are keyword research tools, like the the Etsy version of Ahrefs, which is like $5 a month, which just shows you how like crazy. Lower the price just, is. Like so just put that into perspective, yeah, Ahrefs, the light version is about $120 a month for anyone that doesn't know. And, and yeah, that's mad. $5 oh, a month for keyword research. Let me find the tool. I forgot what it's called. It's like E by E-Rank. That's what it's called, E-Rank. And so you can do that. There's also, so I think, you know, you can check the searches for your particular thing, as well as we built a custom Python scraper now that based on like, like our estimations that in our niches, about one in 13.8 sales leads to a review. And so it doesn't tell you how much sales or how much money they're making. But if you look at how many months the site has been up and how many reviews it's got, you can then do how many reviews a month it gets and therefore how many sales a month. And then based on the mm-hmm. price, you can extrapolate the MRR for that product to work out how much you can make by making that product if you want to do competitive research from there. Yeah, So yeah. You, and then you can kind of reverse engineer. It just gives you a heads up right from the outset. This is roughly how much this Etsy store is making. Yeah, and then you can, like, even down to a per product, you can work out that's worth 75 MRR if I get someone to make that on Fiverr for $30. So that's actually quite... A good return. And these are these are digital products that you're selling, nothing yeah. physical. And then is that is that process automated because it just does it as someone yeah. places an order, it then sends them the email with the digital product? Yeah, and asks them for a review. And so there are some things to consider. It's not just the titles. And in fact, if there is like if you sell something that has like so many like ways of describing it, what some people do, we don't do this, is that you can work out like if you've got like funny t-shirts that are certain things. There are so many ways of saying that funny t-shirt with like a a cartoon on it that some people will list the same product under like the main five like things that describe it, but like in every sort of combination of like the 20 keywords that could match it. So you have the same products. Like you know, you could have like a sauna machine and then like a hot 
air vent machine you know like then they do all of <laughs> yeah, the same yeah. but we don't really do that because there's also a supposedly like a ranking benefit for your whole store's visibility if you post a product every day for like freshness and so some people just repost the same like stuff under different names and stuff. Yeah. but we don't really do that we just sort of start with our lot visibility is like kind of fickle it's really difficult and so you'll see if you type in like a general seed term for like some digital products the same few stores will take like all of the things up even for less relevant products than if you are as a new store try and publish a very relevant like long tail version for that you will sometimes get no visibility because it prefers to show just like a trusted store so there is like a a, a thing to overcome with that but if you could be one of like the the authority etsy people and you've got the seo down then that's pretty good. The they, the description is said to be a ranking factor, but it's weak and sometimes not included at all. So it's mostly titles, tags, and like CTR from images. The images are super, super important. Like balancing like a really effective template with not being so custom that it's like not worth your time to create these amazing like thumbnail for YouTube things. So you try and get a really good template made by a freelancer and then like customize it for each like type of product within that subcategory that you've created. Like, you know, if you've got a certain type of calendar or like planner, then try and keep them all to be the same sort of thing. And then for the digital product side, you can automatically distribute them via like automations and like download links and stuff like that. And then if you can get star seller stasis, which I believe is a 4.9 or 4.8 or something rating out of five on average for three months and an average customer response time of a certain amount, then you get that that then helps you. And if you have really, I'm not 100% sure about this one, it might be you have to activate something, but if you get really, really good user metrics, like everyone who is clicking on it when they search and it stops them, obviously that's going to help with like CTR and the algorithm, same as Google. But if you are converting really well, then Etsy may start pushing you onto Google ads and the shopping ads, which does lead to obviously more sales view that you don't have to pay for. But you can also scale and pay your own Etsy ads, especially if you're just starting out, which can be a way of getting like some, like firstly, testing an MVP if you're just starting a store like if you're doing a niche site you're kind of locked into that niche but if you're just starting Etsy stores you can do MVPs by testing those though you need to be really careful you don't get banned because there's like they are tough on the ban hammer and so you can test those we actually just we, we, we can do this as a separate part of the conversation but we spend most of the revenue now which we didn't use to just on ads, just so we can break even with more sales to get newsletters, because we know that the newsletters are more valuable in the back end. So we're using Etsy as like a newsletter funnel because people would rather pay $2 for a, a lead magnet than get it for free as a pop-up on the website. And so fine, you got to pay us for it and then we'll blast it to everyone else and spend your revenue on getting the next four people to sign up. Love it. I love it. So how did you learn all of this? Is this something that people in your team or, or, or that you already knew? Is it what... So we, you um, said you've just started doing this this year, really. This is fairly relatively new for you. Yeah. And so Joe on the team does executes on the Etsy side. So I only know these things because of the things that he's experimenting with, like with like paid ads and optimizing images for more visibility and like, you know, creating the, the templates to then try and get better CTR over over 20 products rather than spending hours trying to do each individual thumbnail for marginal gains. And so he controls most of that. He's got, he's trying to build a small team of like freelance people on like the Upwork and Fiverr style things that are specialists in those types of digital products and those niches so that then they can fairly cheaply be given like five, 10 products at once. They go away, go do those. And then we can then publish those gauge ROI and see where else we can do stuff basically and what the data suggests. Great. Okay. So you're selling multiple digital products. It's not just one product. I think it's uh, just under a hundred. Okay. 
Okay, and you've just built those up over time. So we talk. Are we talking things like eBooks? Like what? You don't have to tell us exactly. E-book, but. Like you know the typical stuff that you can do for everything, like planners and like like yeah, you know those sorts of things. Okay, that's really 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 interesting. So so you 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 kind of at a point where I think you mentioned a rough figure of maybe six to eight thousand pounds a a month in terms of revenue. How much time is that taking? Would you say? Or do do you know the answer to that? How you said Joe and your team your team work, works on that. So there's a lot more people entering um, these. So there's there's more competition, but I don't think Etsy's getting less popular. I don't think they're I don't think they're incentivized like Google to change the algorithm to not give you mm-hmm. business because they make money when you make money and actually you yeah. pay a fairly high amount of cost on these things, especially as lower ticket. They take they find ways to nab you from everywhere for the cash. And so I don't really see them like not trying to. If we have a good product that has good user signal that converts best, then they want to show people to that product because they get more money per click or per user engagement. Yeah. And uh, any sensible company would measure those things pretty pretty in depth, right? So to, to mm-hmm. make sure that they're making the most money. Um, but it's getting more competitive, and there's a lot of people like uh, I don't really do like the high ticket product side, but there's a lot of like big clever drop shippers now like realizing that Etsy is where it's going to be, and um, mm-hmm. they're getting on that. So it's toughening up on those niches. But because I do low ticket digital products with like the back end affiliate newsletter funnel being the priority, that hasn't hit me as hard because like um, you know if I didn't have the team to do it for me, I don't think I'd be willing to put the amount of effort it took to get like a few grand extra on here because I can go make more money doing other stuff. And so I think a lot of other people feel that way. And so we can outsource it to very cheap people without taking too much of our time. But that again took learning all of those things to to do that. And so that's kind of a moat in that like most people don't want to do that okay. for less than 15 grand a month or whatever. Sure, sure. Okay, that's 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 really good. Thanks, thanks for that. I think we'll we'll switch tact a little bit now. Let's. I want to talk to you about your relationship with with Lasso. So, first of all, give us an idea of what Lasso is, and then I want to understand why you got involved in that because you've just said there that you know your your clearly your time is very very valuable. You want to maximise what you get for your time. So I imagine that takes up a, a fair amount of time. So just just describe what Lasso is and then what your role is and how that kind of came about. Sure. So if you have an, uh, a content site and you do it or any, you're a blogger, you do any kind of affiliate marketing, Lasso can basically, one, help you convert better and make more money. Most people listening to this may know of Jared Bauman, who hosts the Niche Pursuits podcast. He switched from AWP to Lasso fairly recently, back in July, I think. And he doubled his income. He the clicks preceded the conversion. So he's showing me the data. I'm like, oh, the clicks are going up. I hope the revenue goes up. And thankfully it did. So we helped him make more money there. But also we've moved into like the data analytics side. So you can see, like, you can like connect all of your like affiliate programs, Amazon, CJ, Impacts, and whatever else into one dashboard rather than having to log into everywhere else. It will send you a daily, weekly, and monthly update. So you don't have to like log in even to the, to the Lasso dashboard to sort of save you some time. There's link managements because, you know, you can add affiliate links, but like content, it can go stale, the links can break, they can go out of stock, they can 404, and Lasso will automatically detect that so that you can fix them. You can fix all of the locations of that same affiliate link on all of the places on your site at the same time. Basically, two main things, make more money, save time. Let me do that. So yeah, it's a plugin. We're sort of growing into a wider, larger SaaS now with 10 people on the team. And I presume the next conversation is going to be like, why pivot from niche sites into that? And so like it's uh, a diversification. SaaS multiples are better than niche site multiples. SaaS are more robust. It's MRR rather than like whatever you get from Google that month. And there's a 
larger mission of, of 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 things that I can't really speak about right now that mean that like you know I can make and I I've, I'm coming close to have made seven figures from these sites and if I do sell up I'll make well into seven figures um, but if you want to shoot for eight figures then you've got to go and do something really really big that uh, and align yourself to a mission that that has the total addressable market size of what can be you know nine figures so that I walk away with eight because I'm not you know the majority shareholder and so. Um, you got to go and do it when the opportunity So how did this up. come about? Because, I mean, I, I was obviously aware of Lasso prior to when you got involved with them. Was this something that – was this a, a drunken conversation at a conference? Was this a you, – you approached them, they approached you? What – I mean, uh, and, and you might not be able to give me the answer because there might be a reason why, but if you can, how, how did this come about? Yeah, so uh, I migrated my sites – on, in November, which is the dumbest thing you could ever do, right? Like in <laughs> Black Friday time. time. <laughs> and then the site's tanked, right? Because Bing, like, got rid of everything. And we do so much traffic from Bing that, like, it was bad. And so Andrew from Lasso, who's the founder, was, like, DMing me, like, oh, let me jump on a call and see if I can help you. Because he's technical. He's a developer, a, da a data engineer by trade and does WordPress stuff like, in his sleep. It's pretty basic to him, whereas it's advanced to me. And so he spent, like, an hour just helping me. I uh, didn't need to, just volunteered in that. And so I was very grateful to him. I signed up to Lasso because I was still using like generate blocks like then. And I was having quality control issues because like it's good to be able to copy and paste these things in. But like VAs and myself were just making mistakes. And so like we'd have like an article on vacuums and the pros and cons would say like, this is a great inkjet printer. <laughs> like, because uh, it would be like the, 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 the template from another niche, right? And so like there's just little things that are affecting it rather than the scalability of something that's. Uh, more fit for purpose than than like custom blocks and so i became a customer and i loved it because i was too cheap to try originally before and then a dm like a month comes uh, later comes in from andrew just like hey man would you be interested in doing xyz at lasso um i think the dms are like oh, i like the way that you think differently i'm not sure what that really means and i, I want to ask because i'm a narcissist and i want to know exactly how amazing i am but i never found the details but i, I must have the tweets must have caught an eye or the whatever and uh, then we started talking from there and originally like it was like a no until it's a yes right because i feel like if you value your time it's got to be and i'm bad at this because i don't like have any self-control and i want to do everything and say yes to everything yeah. but there has to be a default no until it's like okay this is like exceeds because if you've got a fairly guaranteed way to seven figures in these sites like it has to be like if it's going to be like a zero point whatever chance of doing whatever it has to be like a huge hit to justify like taking time away from guaranteed less money and um so if it was still just displays i'd have gone this is awesome thank you but i can't right now but then we started talking about the longer term vision some of the other stuff that hasn't come out yet and what that could mean and where that could grow to and then i was like all right let's let's fucking do it <laughs> nice like it okay so you can't that kind of leads me into to what i want to talk about next as well which is about this idea of, of having a, a an online persona or influencer type profile how important do you feel that that is like is that something that you think everyone should should have what you know why why would you do it because obviously for me i've kind of stepped into that in the last two years started off with the affiliate school and then a year after that went got got involved with twitter and it's a it's a fair even just twitter is a fair commitment to continue to post content on there yeah respond to comments you're getting a lot of dms and things like that how how important do you think that is if if you're going to make money online if you're going to 
work in those circles is it something that everyone should do do you think or is it it can you work in the shadows are there disadvantages to that or advantages what what are your thoughts on that it's never been work and i'm sure you find it the same way because if you just tweet what you're doing and what you're doing is irrelevant enough and interesting enough for people to follow you then you're just being yourself and you don't have to actively think about it but if we are actively doing the thing and I'd say that although we are nowhere near some of the bigger people in the game who are typically not on Twitter, so they have to listen to mid- mid-level people like us instead of the real killers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. about it. <laughs> <laughs> but if you really are doing the thing to a level where the average person might find that interesting or want to follow, then it really isn't much work because content, I hate the idea of having to like think of content. It feels so robotic and unnatural and inauthentic. But if I hit something in Discover and make a grand in a day, I'm like, oh, this is cool. I'll just tweet this. Like it's yeah. as long as it doesn't really, like affect my competitive advantage, then it's just interesting, right? So it's, it's my I do this because I like just talking about what I'm doing, not like with any sort of expectations in mind. If people want to follow that, they can. Which brings me on to the your the actual answer to your question. I see a lot of people tweeting about this just for the sake of it, because the idea of building a brand is like more important than the actual thing. And I don't recommend it in that case. Like it was natural for you to do YouTube because you were an affiliate marketer making a full-time living off affiliate marketing. And so you were doing the thing. And so it was just talking about what you were doing. You didn't have to think of scripts, I'm sure, or a topic, whatever it would come because you just had to talk about what you were doing. It was natural. You didn't have to do any research. It it came. And so I find some people trying to shoehorn that in there to be unnatural. And I wouldn't recommend it if you're not doing it. And so the personal brand can only be an earned personal brand. And people can suss out who really know their stuff if you don't know your stuff pretty quickly by the depth of the depth of the level you can talk about that topic on and so there are a lot of people on twitter and there's nothing against them like credit to them that have a fair amount of followers that just cannot and just in the way that i can't talk about these things on the depth of technical level that some high level people like you know i'm sitting around dinner last friday with you know charles float and castro and i'm like well i can't talk about links with you. like we were like us with james dealey in birmingham like we just, uh, we can't talk about the the the, the the level of depth of technical skill across all these other domains that they that he has that we don't. And so I would recommend doing the thing and talk about you doing the thing. Or if you're not doing the thing yet, you can build in public and record yourself doing the thing. And that's inspiring. People want to come along for the journey. But I don't really think that you should portray yourself as an expert or whatever if you're not doing the thing because, one, it will take you 10 times as long because you'll have to research each topic, which could be a way of building in public learning and researching. Like, I'm trying to learn this, so I'm going to teach you about it. Like the uh, the Feynman technique, you don't really know something until you can explain it to a five-year-old, which is great. But I think that the positioning of yourself to try and make money from like selling a newsletter or whatever whilst you still acquire the skills rather than teaching what you're doing day to day doesn't really make sense to me and i'm confused as to why people do that to some extent as, as, as i say this as a mid-level person that some people would say i shouldn't be telling people about which is also completely fair i think you i think your opinion is perfectly valid okay so let's change tack again i've got a few few of the questions i want to dive into the kind of psyche of, of jamie if in a minute but just before we do that i think you kind of touched on this earlier where you said about tech changing in the next 10 years and of course tech is developing so rapidly at the moment i think 10 years of development now is probably like 100 years of development 10 years ago so it leads us obviously on to ai so how how important has ai become for you in in your kind of day-to-day dealings with with what you do how how, do you do you are there certain softwares that you use do you not use it at all is it something that you're testing a lot what what's your take on it 
it has both changed everything we do while not actually changing anything yet. So let me explain. It means that now, like, Zapier is good. And it means that now, like, there are so many ways that with the right processes and the right SOPs in place, someone who is not as, like, hasn't got two years experience in link building, hasn't got two years experience in social media management, can much more with just a plug and play SOP be much more effective. ChatGPT can create ideas for link building guest post ideas based on X and Y that you can create in an SOP. ChatGPT can create captions that you can put for your Zapier automation so that you're creating clickable titles on Twitter and Facebook and anywhere else as soon as you update your rss feed which now like previously you'd have to hire someone that spoke perfect english and was a social media manager and was trained in that whereas now you just need someone or i mean for the zapier automations it's completely automated but for link building it's not quite there yet and stuff like that and so it's changed nothing that we haven't changed the amount of staff we have in fact we may have you know it's not like we're firing anyone for it but the average person if you really focus on the minutiae of like the SOPs of what it can do in each process is transformational. And there's so many things that I haven't even got to yet that I know it will be transformational in. And every six months, I find myself changing the expectation for when everything is going to be different. And I find myself getting into like, the, like momentarily into the, like, okay, we're okay. The next few years aren't going to be that mental. Old people haven't got used to phones and TVs yet. So they went with this. And then something else will come out and I'm like, all right, I'm going to be out of, the, out of the game in two years. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and that's the thing, isn't it? And it, it, is, it is such a rapidly changing landscape. But I think it is something that scares people. I think it's also something that gives people an excuse because I think quite often people, you know, there's always going to be some form of barrier to entry. But I actually feel at the moment that AI shouldn't really be a barrier. I think it should be an enabler. So... That's kind of my take on it right now, but I think I think people, anything that they're unsure of or that that you know it, it kind of breeds fear, then they'll use it as an excuse not to get into the game, um, and that kind of leads me on, and I'll, I'll keep kind of segueing here into the next question, into the the question of is it is making money online for everyone? Is it something that everyone should do? Because I feel that. If you're that person that always comes up with the excuse, then maybe it isn't for you. It's almost that that I it's that entrepreneurial spirit, and I know that you definitely have that, and I think that's come through clearly in the conversation that we've had today. So, but if you don't have that spirit, or if you're not of that particular mindset, do you still think there's a way for people to make money online? I don't recommend it for most people. I think it's a beautiful thing to not have like the devil in your mind saying, this is never enough. Do more. Mm. The contentment is a beautiful thing that if you are possessed by the entrepreneurial bug, you never get the beauty you're feeling to have. <laughs> it's such a beautiful thing when I hear people go, oh, I'm signing off at five and I'm going to spend time with my wife and kids. The bliss, the bliss that we call blissful ignorance, but I actually say it's just bliss nothing else just bliss and i think there's like unfair condescension from like people who do this stuff so like, i think they call them like normies on twitter they're like oh these normies they do the normal thing like okay how dare you conform <laughs> to society's ideals of like a safe nuclear family and whatever else which they infer to be like unambitious uh, you've given up on life or whatever else but i actually think that 
I mean, there's some people that I'm sure they have given up on life because they're like, whatever, but I don't think that's the, the way to like generalize on people. I think it's a great thing to find your lane, be comfortable, find a job that hopefully in the future will still continue to pay you an amount that means that you can do everything hobby-wise, go on holidays, work-life balance or whatever else, and go do that. In which case, there's no pressure to go do this stuff. You have nothing to prove to the world as long as you're doing well. And so I think people should assess their mentality and reasoning for want to do this or what. Like, if you need an extra 500 quid a month to do X, Y, Z, for 90% of people, it's cheaper to just you, you to just do more hours because there's yeah. a, an exponential ramp-up curve for like making any money in business. And if you're willing to spend two years to get to $500 a month, then you may as well spend the extra year to get to 20 grand a month. And so it's not going to be a quick way to 500, but it might be a very quick way to a very high income a few days down the line. But if you want that now to like be a bit better off, you're better off just working harder at your job and getting promoted because you'll just split your focus and not get promoted if you like are not thinking about your job during the job. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've been in that place where I've been climbing the career ladder and trying to grow something myself and it's bloody hard and it's, it's actually unsustainable as well. So you, you're absolutely right. You know, for someone that doesn't, that it, it, you know, you say the term 500 quid a month extra, there's, there's much easier ways to do it than to probably make, you know, to go and make money online. And also yeah. like I, people like this is going to sound cocky, but there's a lot of people online trying to do this stuff. There's not a, there's not many that are doing half a million a year like us two or whatever. Like I don't know exactly. Like, let's just say half a million a year. And so like this isn't representative. It's nice to listen to these things and like voyeur the or like vicariously mm. live through someone else. But no, I don't want to recommend you try and do what I do because I've spent sixteen hours a day for five years grinding this out. I've got my my wrists are literally on fire right now because I've destroyed the like the ligaments or whatever in there. My neck is permanently hurt. I, I'm, I'm aging horribly. Like this stuff is like, you sacrifice a lot. And this isn't trying to me trying to be like, oh, I'm a savage, whatever. I'm not. I just want to go down. Like it's one of the best to do it. And this is a way on that path that I found myself in. But it's not representative. And so if you want to crush it and you're a killer, then cool. But like, you don't really need the motivational stuff to do that because you just do it. And if you find yourself needing that, then you need to sort of, decide whether you want to pursue that or if not then don't worry about it just forget the path but it doesn't need to like nag at your brain like thinking about it because it's not like a you don't have to do this stuff like a world where like you have to do a side hustle to survive is kind of like a bad world like you it's, it's not a sustainable world for like people not like mutinying because there's like no like balance and so hopefully we never get to that and hopefully it's all good but there's this like culture of like side hustling or like like you like in the same way like you're like the girl bosses they've always got like a, a side project and, and the guys that are hustling on money twitter doing high ticket sales and whatever else and find what does what you want in your inputs and outputs work-life balance family hobbies money and if you prioritize any one of those then put more time and effort into that for me i wanted to get rich and I wanted status and whatever else. And so I want to do that. I want to, I, I see this as like a big gamified competition. I want to be the best. I want to prove that I am the best. And I don't know that until I've gone up against the best and still come out victorious. And so I want to know where I stack up on that level. And I want to know that where that, where that is and where I end and where I stop. But So what is the end game for you then? Is it, I know you've, you talked about figures earlier, but now you're talking about being the best and, and, and taking on the best and, 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 and remaining there. But is that not something that there's always going to be someone else that's going to come in and, and knock you or, or, or move above? And then, you, and you, again, you said it earlier, 
the, the entrepreneurial mindset or brain is never going to rest. So is there an end game for you? Do you feel you could get an eight-figure sale and or an eight-figure an eight exit and then just switch off and go and live on a desert island and have a family and whatever? You know, what what is the end game? Can you ever reach that? Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, I'd take a good offer for most of the sites now if it came along, and that would. But would you would you just quit and and never work again? Well, no, I'd be able to like be laser focused on like growing lasso, and so cleverly the contract, the equity is variable based on how much I scale it quickly, and so I'd try and make sure I had as much of that as possible, increase the value and my own net worth from that. And if I can get eight figures from that, then I'm really done now, and then I can go do the IF project without worrying. Like if you've got two million and you do that, you might run out of money. But if you've got like 10, 20, yeah, I think I can put five in that, and then still like let the five roll over, and that will be all right. Like it's yeah. it's fine. Absolutely, absolutely. So, again, we've touched on this already, but I want you to go delve into it a little bit more. We didn't really touch on education. You talked a little bit about what you were like at school. You, you mentioned the fact that you went to university, so you're clearly educated to you know a relatively high level. How important do you think education was for you in what you do now? And bec- and we'll we'll also touch on the psychology because you, you I don't was it a psychology degree? No, I did uh, economics. <laughs> it was like economics, like, so okay. thing. Ever. But, but you're quite you're quite big on the psychology side of things. So. Yeah. What what I mean economics obviously with business but so what impact has that ed- your education had on what you do now do you th- do you feel it was very important because clear you know a lot of people you hear a lot of people now talk talk about the fact that education is very expensive particularly higher education and is it worth it for some for for many people to to go into particularly if you're going to go in and do a, an online business or work in your own business how important is that. Or how, just for you personally, how important was yeah, it? Again, like there's this like big trend of like fuck school, fuck uni, drop out and do it. Like high school dropout, Bill Gates style thing. And that works for some people. For me, like if I had left school at 18, I wouldn't be here in my mid-20s because not because I, and I would have loved to have those four extra years. But I would have just been too dumb to do it or like there's a level of like uh, I think that if I didn't get four years of being dumb so that I could leave like having matured more before I entered the workforce because where you go is very indicative of where you finished. Like you narrow your opportunity significantly by making a decision and by being more mature and bit going into the labor force at 22, well, I mean, not in the, like, and then deciding to work for myself Mm. at 22 was like, meant that I could think big enough to go on this path to whatever that led to here. Maybe if I'd been 18, I would have gone into the first thing I'd, seen and then become a a cabinet maker or whatever and then spent 40 years making cabinets i don't know how it would have gone i don't know i i showed i showed no interest in cabinet making prior but you never know how these things are once you make a decision you limit your opportunities by doing those four years i got to go to france got to go meet new people across the uk and all the foreign students that came to the uni met everyone in france who was a foreign student or a domestic french student there um and think and do business right and uh, go and work in businesses and find out what seo was with more of a perspective to then come back and decide what to do so i think that do i use my degree ever no do i think that the marketing stuff is like worth spending 27 grand over three years on no there's better books 
that are like nine quid that will save you the nine grand. <laughs> but you, uh, it's still the best few years of my life because I could get drunk four nights a week with my friends, chat nonsense, and have a good go clubbing five nights a week and have a good time. And it was a great time, well worth the debt. <laughs> but like at the same time, like it's the perspective, right? And so you have to be able to think you can do something. And to be able to think you can do something, you have to think big enough to think that you can do something. And so you have to be able to like some people that grow up, grow up, especially if you grow up in a like a better household where you see doctors and business owners and whatever, you can just acquire that naturally, which is a, is, is a form of privilege, I think. But if you don't grow up seeing those things, you have to be experienced the the larger side to know that you could do a crazy biochemistry company that could be a billion dollars because you just don't know that those opportunities exist to you. So having seen that, I think that allowed me to think bigger. So I credit it with being able to do what I do now, but not because of the education side, but because of the other factors. Great answer. Great answer. So coming back to psychology then, I know you use it within your content creation to a, to an extent in terms of how you write. Could you just explain that a little bit for me? What Because what, I've seen you talk about it a fair amount. What does, what does it actually could you give me like a practical example of how you use psychology to maybe, I don't know, persuade or is that, is that how you use it? Yeah. So I like money and, um, I do this to get money. I don't do this for charity. I do charity for charity and I do SEO to get money. I'm a businessman doing SEO. I'm not an SEO. I don't love SEO. I just do it. It's a means to an end. And um, when I'm doing SEO, I want to make the most money. And the way to make the most money is to make sure that whoever comes onto your page, who's ready to make a buying decision, makes the buying decision on the spot so that you get paid for it with your cookie. And so when I'm creating content around affiliate products and recommendations, the top five vacuums, I'm thinking who is coming onto that page? What are the segments and what do they want? And what will get them to go from, hmm, I feel a bit worried that I'm going to make the wrong decision. I'm risk averse. I don't want to lose. I don't want to pick the wrong thing. There's stress attached to that. And it lends itself perfectly to me doing a service and really adding value. If I can help you find based on your worries, anxieties, unrealized needs, childhood trauma that led to you searching that random keyword 20 years down the line to make sure that you are feeling comfortable and make the best uh, decision for you that really has utility for you, then I've done my job and helped you and added value to your life. And you've made a decision on the spot that will positively, hopefully impact yours. And so it's all about segmentation, precision, visual imagery, like evocative language, real life scenario like illustration for them like be as uh, specific as possible your segments uh, you know saying that this is the best heavy duty vacuum below 75 dollars is going to convert better than something more vague because if they do fit that then they're going to be like okay this person really understands me this is fits my exact needs there is visual imagery use real life scenarios that, that someone in the niche that your audience would really see themselves doing it so that you take them through that and walk them through it. Be like likable. Uh, talk about any mistakes you made using the products like, oops, don't do what I did. <laughs> and then they like you and they want to, you know, get you back for the information that you've given them by using your affiliate link and whatever else or feel it, feel it easy because they feel understood. Everyone wants to feel understood, loved, status, sexually attractive or like they want to forget everything. Separate. Like it's yeah, one of those things will all like and depending on the products that you sell, you, you can always zone in on that and usually not for like the powerful positive version, but like avoiding the negative one, Avo like mostly being alone. And so there's, there's, there's lots of ways you can do that, but really like, I don't want to overcomplicate it in some like DR direct response style thing. Cause I don't even think about it like that though. There are lots of parallels to direct response and cold email and all these other forms of psychology and CRO, 
that you want to like do to engineer the best results. But really just think about like, what does this person need? What types of people are coming onto this page? And how do I make that as clear as possible and easy to read on the UX front so that they can easily, without the, the least thought possible, make that decision that leads to them buying what they want today? I imagine as well, there's an element of that that can be applied to various online audiences, you know, social media, even Etsy, for example. I, I imagine that can still be applied there. You, like you just mentioned email, for example. I think that I'm a good cold emailer and like newsletter writer now because of it. I don't think I'm that good. Like I, I still knew meta, but some of the same timeless principles apply across the board in the same way that like if you've made YouTube videos for the affiliate school, when it comes to cutting up stuff for niche sites, it's going to apply really well because you know exactly what you're going to do. If you've ever like sold anything at a market on Sundays, you probably can sell software over a Zoom call. But like, it's not a perfect mix, but mm -hmm. the principles are there'll be elements. Like I did Instagram trying to sell hoodies for six months, so I can pro like probably helps me blow up on Twitter quicker. Like it's every every struggle, every like synapse you activate by like going down a path of skill acquisition is going to help you and so the most rounded people are the people that do the most and do the most novel new things because there's all these other interconnections that we don't realize until we notice that that random experience led to an advantage on this particular thing 20 years later so i'm trying to have all the experiences I love it and i think that's the one thing that i'm getting from this conversation today is that all these multiple experiences that you've had through your relatively short life so far have all had a huge impact on where you are at right now and the way in which you approach business and, and make and essentially make money. I think that everything you do that's novel requires a slow start because one, you don't know what you're doing and you're worried about repercussions and things going wrong. And the more times you do that, I think, and I'm not trying to say this as though I'm like some super high agency person that like knocks down barriers and is fearless because I really I'm pretty far away from that. I'm trying to get better at that, but I'm not naturally good at that. I think I'm a naturally like like anxious person that wouldn't go and do all this crazy stuff. But the people that I see that are doing all the craziest things, the people that go and spend a, a month randomly in a random country and then go and learn chess for 30 days straight like having never done it before, or like just go and like go and send all those cold emails. They don't care or like call, picking up the phone and calling whoever they want to speak to. And all those things are difficult the first time. Same way if I'm doing coding and I'm worried about where I've got something wrong, it's easy to just give up rather than like spend the 15 minutes, like like not looking at the answer on Google or asking chat GVT because then like you've done it. And then that applies somewhere else. Like the, it's the resilience, but also like the willingness to like be shit or something and like, or do something novel. And then all of those apply to like, being a more well-rounded character, which I'm still trying to like catch up on because I don't think I'm naturally that good at that. And I try and that's why I'm trying to orient myself towards because the people that I see around me that are the highest like, performers, I guess, are the people that in so many different disciplines have the lack of barrier to just doing all of those things. And then they have the like the largest perspective, which I think then when you dig into something that's super precise, has like advantages for acquisition and skills building teams, scaling, whatever else in those specific disciplines. Brilliant. I feel like we've had so much value from you today, Jamie. I'm going to ask you one final question. <laughs> and that is, if you, if you could give one tip to someone listening to this in uh, who wants to be successful online, what would that be? One tip to be successful um, in the online world? Pick something you can do for three years 
and by that I mean that you find naturally interesting enough and something that you're sure you're going to continue with and then ignore the noise of everything else like don't do Etsy one month and then cold email for your agency the next month and then drop shipping on Shopify the next month everything is exponential nothing looks good in the short term which is why there are such long-term benefits because it's a way of filtering out people that don't want to do what you're willing to do and the same is with skill acquisition if you keep shopping and changes yes you'll gain skills but none of them to a level where someone will pay you lots of money for them especially with ai which is going to better and better replicate entry and mid-level skills and so you need to be specified and specialized to an extent Super. So I know you. I, it's been such a good episode to kick off this this podcast, and it's it, it's kind of encapsulated the whole spirit of what I wanted to 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 bring. And I think we've covered so many topics here. We could probably talk about each one of those questions that I asked, and and the answers that you gave were fantastic. And we could really d- dig into each one for probably another hour of it on each. But yeah, it, absolutely brilliant. So. I know you're not going to answer the question, what does the IF stand for in Jamie IF, until you reach 100,000 followers. Is that on Twitter, is it? Yeah, I'm on 19,000 right now. So we we just need to get you 81,000 followers. And (laughs) that's a crime, by the way, that you've got 19,000. I thought you were on at least, I thought you were on about 50,000, actually. So, yeah, so we need to to go and follow Jamie over on Twitter. It's it's at Jamie underscore IF. Have I got that right? I've put a nice little banner up on the screen for those that are watching. Anywhere else that you want people to to go and follow you? I have a website called increasing.com. If you go to increasing.com slash newsletter, you can read my musings. Last week, I sent one on, like, the EAT side and how we're doing stuff around, like, getting Rocket, Reach, accounts, Zoom Info, Crunchbase and then person profiles for each of our authors, building wiki data profiles, getting our authors and our businesses in the knowledge graph to try and, you know, beginning to get the the signals that would get us a, a knowledge panel and stuff like that. If you find that sort of stuff interesting, how we buy niche edits with quotes on them to try and create author trust signals as well as, you know, the standard guest posting sort of stuff with uh, the editorial element associated with that. That's an example one. They're usually much worse than that. That was an interesting one recently. But if you like things like that, then subscribe because randomly I decide to spend two hours writing 3,000 words on that stuff and going down the rabbit hole. I'm hit by website updates. I'm not as high as I used to be. And a lot of my content is around what I'm personally doing. I'm not telling you to do anything, just this is what I'm doing. And you can choose to to, to find that interesting and, and, and use that if you find it helpful. But I will never tell you what to do. I'll just say what I'm doing. And if you want to follow along that, you're welcome to. Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on, Jamie. Thank you for having me, Jason. That was good fun.